Let's talk with Ed in Denton. How can I help you? Good afternoon, Jim. How are you and your staff today? We are doing just great. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, sir. I was wondering if you've ever had any experience in constructing an earth dome shelter, be it a, an earth ship or an earth dome shelter, where this is something that is put together that's kind of a cross-hybridization motif-wise between, so to say, a Quonset hut and a geodesic dome. They're considered to be about 10 or 15 degrees warmer in the winter and cooler, 10 to 15 degrees cooler in the summer. Uh, they're anywhere from 300 square feet up. They don't cost much to construct other than the concrete. Um, and they, they're great for like, uh, known to be great for like a getaway place, a cottage or retirement place. I was wondering if you had any experience or know of anybody that has that I might contact to see if they're really worthwhile in, you know, having a place to get away and not having to spend much money to, to construct it. Well, to be honest with you, I've never built one. I have worked on uh, similar type situations. The biggest thing you have to be concerned with is waterproofing the outside of it um, because the groundwater is in our area is what will tend to cause you problems. Not so much from the top, but just the, the pressure from the soil on the sides. But uh, you are correct. They are extremely comfortable, energy efficient. What you'll find is you're going to definitely be dehumidifying this thing. Uh, that becomes a bigger factor on these than the air conditioning and heating system because the ground itself holds a constant temperature. And so, yes, it's always going to be comfortable, but the humidity levels will, uh, will tend to skyrocket in something like that. But that's very controllable with dehumidification. I see. And also, is there such a thing, I haven't investigated the, the realm of what I'm about to ask from a propane tank point of view for energy, but if you had a propane tank put in the ground, uh, is there such a thing as a converter that could be used on the inside that would convert any of the propane to, say, for cooking or for lighting purposes? Well, for cooking, absolutely you can use it. Uh, lighting purposes, I mean, it's, it's just... A, it, I would say, yes, you can do it. I wouldn't really recommend it. The amount of heat that that would generate inside uh, really kind of throws off the whole purpose of going into something like that. Because, again, it's all, it's all highly insulated, and so just that little flame would tend to heat the place up. Exactly. Well, John, I appreciate your time. And do you have anybody that I might be able to contact that's had any experience with constructing one of those structures? Not a clue. Well, look, thank you so much again, and you have a blessed day, sir. All righty, Ed. You take care. Bye-bye. 1-800-288-9227. And again, these structures are, are very good. They're energy efficient. You're dealing with moisture, though, not, not only from the surface but the ground moisture uh, and so you're dealing with a lot of humidity that has to be taken care of. Linda in Pottsboro, how can I help you today? Hi Jim, what on earth are we going to do when we do when you decide to retire? <laughs> oh, I'm not <laughs> no I'm not even to. close to thinking about that yet. Oh, good. Uh I've been really concerned about something that's really none of my business. My son is 52, uh, has his own practice, perfectly capable of making his own decisions. 
But um, because so what's he screwing up on? Just, uh, <laughs> uh, he was backing some heavy equipment into uh-huh. his uh, driveway and didn't turn it right. Hit, I mean, literally head on. I guess the way it looks, the corner of the brick of his home. Okay. And I was over there, and I thought, my gosh, what happened? You know, the, it's the, what the builder, you know, I was thinking it's the builder's fault. He said, no, I hit it. Well, it's not just a crack. It's literally separated. The brick is separated from, like, I'll say a foot from the corner inside where it's separated. And then it snakes, kind of like a vine, uh, towards the center and on up and around a win- window frame and almost to the roof. Now, because it's the garage side, it's a straight wall, basically, except the one window. Uh-huh. And he was just going to have his yard man, who's already messed up on something he had him to do, a house project, just put some mortar in there. And I said, oh, no, no, you need more information. You know, <laughs> you got a big crack here. Yeah. Uh, I was afraid it might keep separating or something. And also, it's not just the... Uh, what I call traditional mortar that's recessed and smooth. It's that uh, style that they slap it in. It's good out. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, you know, the consistency, the color, the you know, all this information, other than the integrity of the uh, corner of the house. Well, here's the, here's the beautiful part about brick on a home. Uh-huh. It's, just, it's just a veneer. It has no okay. structural purpose, no strength or anything. Uh, so it's it's strictly there for looks. So regardless of what he does, even if he just plain took it off, it wouldn't mm-hmm. affect anything other than if he took it off, moisture getting into where the rest of the wall is. Um, I agree well, with you, though. Me. Yeah, I agree with you, though. The, your landscape guy, he's not going to be able to fix this. It, it, he really needs to call a true brick mason, and mm-hmm. he'd be amazed at how cheap it is. To have brickwork done like that is really inexpensive. Okay, I'll tell him. I'll see if I can twist his arm. Uh, Do it you know, tomorrow. Was... It's Mother's Day. He's got to listen to you then. Oh, okay. Well, I, my mouth just fell open when he said, oh, I'm going to get blank to do it. I thought, my gosh, he's already messed up on your uh, window overhang. It looks worse than it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and... and <laughs> I talk about this all the time. In fact, I did a little while ago when I was talking about uh, sunburst shutters. Uh-huh. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they try to go cheap on some of this stuff, and you're money ahead to pay to get it done right because then it's fixed permanent. Like if he ever goes to sell a house and this landscaper's done this stuff, it's oh, going to yeah. look like hell. He can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, and he does intend to sell in the future. I yeah, mean, he, not he definitely future, wants but to have it done right. It's not a home they're right. going to retire in. Well, yeah. I appreciate that. And, and again, I just love your show. It's just a wealth of information and help. Well, Linda, so, thank you uh, so much. And and I'll be honest with you, I don't have any any hopes of retiring anytime soon because I'm only a year <laughs> older than your son. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I hope y'all have a wonderful day tomorrow. You as well, Linda. Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. David and Wiley, welcome. How can I help you? Putting a, a new roof on a 10-year-old, 2,500-square-foot, single-story house, and I'd like to hear your uh, input on the different types of venting to use on the roof. There seems to be a lot of them. There is a whole lot of different venting out there. Now, do you have uh, a hip roof or, or gables or, or what type? 
Uh, uh, I'd say hip roof, a, a standard roof. Okay, so it's it sloped on all four sides? Correct. Okay. If you had enough ridge row up there, I would say go with ridge vents. Now, that's the type of roof I have on my house, and originally I had whirly birds. I had those taken off. I went with ridge vents. Uh, continuous soffits are really a great help, but make sure you got plenty of soffit vents no matter what the ventilation type. The order of ventilation that I prefer to use, ridge vents is first. Then I go to solar venting, solar-powered, uh, no electric, right. just solar. And then after that, I'll take a look at air hawks. My least favorite is the whirlybird. Uh, how long does the run have to be on the uh, ridge for the ridge vent to be effective? Well, basically what you're looking for is every square foot of attic space you have, you're looking for, I'm sorry, for every 150 square foot of attic space you have, you're looking for one square foot of ventilation. So you have to literally calculate it out if you have enough space. Uh, and that's something Arrington Roofing does automatically when they come out to, to look at a house is run those calculations because they're real experts on that ventilation. But the way the ventilation needs to be needed. divided is 60% would go into the uh, soffits, 40% into the ridge. Okay, well, I have the type of soffit that has almost 360 around the house where the, it's like the perforated uh, uh, yeah. soffit. like the hardy is and so, stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, I don't think that's a problem. It's Why is the Whirly your least, or one of your least favorites? One, it doesn't move that much air. Two, uh, it, out of all the, the different types of roof covers, it's the most problematic with leaks. And for me, it just looks like heck up there. In our neighborhood, the builder built 600 houses with, I believe what they call a, a turtle vent. It's square, low uh, profile, about 14 Yeah, that's like square. the air hawk. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that, that's just a passive thing, right? That only works Correct. when air, hot air gets hot enough to rise. That is it. Yep. Okay. And is that the way a ridge vent works as well? It is. Only when it's hot. Okay. And the whirly does not provide any draft or suction, if you will, to pull the heat out? Uh, only, well, it'll provide a little bit when the when the wind is blowing. Like today, yes, it would it would be providing some, but in general, it's not as much as people think it is. I see. It, it's mo it's about, mostly it's mostly passive as well. Okay, and I don't think you mentioned the uh, there's an electric vent. Uh, you mentioned solar, well, but there's an electric I, I did, and I, and I and when I mentioned the solar, I specifically said not electric. The electric right. vents have a real problem with shorting out and causing roof fires. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And, <laughs> and, and beyond that, the solar power doesn't run your electric bill up at all. So uh, that, that's the reason I prefer the solar. What did those run as far as cost? The solar ones? Yes. Um. You know, obviously, different manufacturers are going to have different pricing, sure. but I want to say they're in the three hundred or so range. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, I have been told that you needed at least 
uh, around 24 to 30 foot run of the ridge vent for it to be effective. I see houses that have six foot of run, eight foot of run, 10 foot of run, that sort of thing on the different, uh, you know, peaks. So it, you're, you're it, saying divide 150 into the square footage of the attic? Correct. Okay, well, a 2,500 square foot house, the attic covers the entire house. Right. So 150 into 2,500 would tell me how many foot of ridge vent I need then? Well, you'd only need half of that because the other half is in the soffit. Oh, okay. I see. All right. Yeah. So, so if I divided if I divided 300 into it, then that so would be So you're, look, you're looking at you need 16.66 square foot of open space for, for ventilation. So that would say you need 8 foot. I mean, uh, yeah, eight square foot of opening in the in the ridge vent, and basically well, you just have to vent. calculate out the the ridge vents. Typically, you're going to have uh, two inches, sometimes a little more, but we'll say two inches coming down each side that's carved out. So you got a four inch right. opening, and so you just have to calculate how many feet that would take to add up to the. So let's see. At uh, we'll say at four inches, so for every three foot, that would be one square foot. We needed eight. Divide that. Let's now let's see. We need to. So, you know, realistically, you only need like 24 linear foot to make it up. There's no such thing as too much attic ventilation, though. So. <laughs> I, I see okay. no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that with ridge vent. Okay, and when you say that, does that mean you can mix different, uh, those four or five different things you mix? You can, uh, if some are passive, like the turtle or whatever your uh, brand was. No, for, you, you have to be careful not to. Or... Yeah, you got to be careful not okay. to do that because if, 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 like, the ridge is above where the turtle vent would be, uh-huh. uh, and, and, and then the soffit vents are lower than that, it will actually draw air through the turtle vent instead of the soffit vent. Because it's going uh -huh. to pull the air yeah, from so path of least resistance, which yeah, is the closest opening. Each other. Yep. Yeah, I see. Okay, very helpful. Thank you very much, Jim. All righty, David, you take care. Uh-huh, bye-bye. And I, I know there's a lot of roofs taking going on up in Wiley, uh, where David was calling from. Please, you know, be patient with with the local roofers. Uh, Arrington Roofing can do a great job for you up there, but be be patient with the with the local roofers. Uh, which the reason I say that, I I get too many calls a year after these storms are done, or two years after these storms are done, and people hired a a, a storm chaser, and now. They got an issue, and the storm chaser is, oh, I'm no longer servicing that area because they're off to the next storm. Stick with your local contractors on these situations so that you don't have to worry about it down the road. Anyways, 1-800-288-9227. Hey, let's talk about sunburst shutters again. You know, quality, excellence, performance. You got Mike Douglas on the phone from Advent Aaron. Mike, how are you today? Well, I'm great. How are you this uh, beautiful Mother's Day weekend? Man, I am doing just wonderful. I mean, you, you, 
You couldn't ask for a nicer day today. I was up at 5.30. It was nice and calm, and as the sun came up, the water on the pond was just glass smooth. Now it's kind of getting windy and a little ripply, but it's still a gorgeous day. Well, you know, let's talk about air conditioning systems for a minute. You know, this, this is typically the time of year because we do have such gorgeous weather that people really kind of forget about their AC units and, oh, it made it through last summer. Maybe it'll make it through this summer. And so they put off getting them maintained and all the stuff that needs to be done to keep them working properly. And realistically, this is when they really should be getting it ready for summer. Oh, yeah. Get them cleaned and tuned up and, and ready to go. It's like anything. If it's been setting dormant and, you know, we've been blowing grass into it and dust and dirt and spider webs and ants and everything else, people don't realize all the contaminants that end up on a outdoor unit and, and uh, you know, the, the benefit of cleaning. Oh, and it can make a huge difference on the, on the energy bills as well. Yeah, I've got actually a little story on that. I had, I had spinal surgery a couple of years ago, and I've got the, uh, the Green Speed Infinity top line systems, and and uh, we put off having them cleaned. And uh, you know, of course, with the surgery and some of the medications, you're out of it a little bit. But I noticed my electric bill over that year had rose almost ninety dollars a month, and realized we hadn't had the systems cleaned and serviced. And as soon as we did, it reverted back to the original electric bills that I had. And the only difference was is they, they hadn't been cleaned, hadn't been serviced for a year. Mike, that kind of sounds like the shoe cobbler who didn't make his own shoes. Well, that's right. That's kind of like the uh, the <laughs> roofer who his roof leaks, but all of his customers yep. have regular roofs. It's the last one to yeah, <laughs> the last one to do the service. But it, it it surprised me even on the on a system like that that was only two years old. The drastic difference it can have on the amount of utility by not having your heat transfer surfaces cleaned and serviced and, you know, everything put in line like it should be. I mean, it was, it was even surprising to me. Oh, and it truly, it does make a huge difference, especially when people start putting it off for multiple years. I mean, that oh, that's yeah. really just throwing money out the window like it's unreal. Yep. Well, and, you know, I mentioned this a little while ago that your, your AC system typically accounts for 60 65% of a utility bill and you know as, as time has been going on our systems have been getting a lot more energy efficient I was talking with a guy yesterday he's got an AC system that is uh, what did he tell me it was 21 years old now my guess is when that thing was put in it was probably an 8 sear uh, from 21 years ago right now I mean you know, we're looking 16, 18, up 21 SEER units. I mean, that is a huge difference. Not to mention, if it was 21 years old and an 8 SEER when it was put in, it's probably only operating at 5 at this point. Yeah, or, or less. That's what people don't understand. It's, it's, it's a, you know, the rating new is, you know, with everything clean and properly charged and functioning, and then over the years, especially if you don't have maintenance, the, the coils outside transfer heat. You know, so if they get corrosion on them and dirt and, the you know, the fan blade, you know, even the indoor fan blade is cupped, you know, or, or indoor blowers, people don't realize that they don't change filters and stuff, you know, properly. The dust builds up in that cupping, which decreases the, the blower's capacity of airflow, plus that dirt goes into the evaporator coil, and, and all this has a cumulative effect that, you know, what may have been an 8-sear at that time, I mean, we've seen things that if you actually test them are 2- or 3-sear, you know, it's just it's yeah. because of the degrading of the stuff from not proper maintenance. 
and I know this is a time of year we start thinking about air conditioning, but it can make a huge difference on heating as well. Uh, over at our deer lease, we actually uh, we had an old unit. It was 30-some years old, and we just replaced it. And we never used the heat because strip heat <clears throat> is extremely expensive, and we had a fireplace there. Well, it was just me, my dad, and my brother that was there, and we thought we'd put a switch up in the attic to be able to turn the heater on and off. We thought, okay, well, let, it's a little bit chilly. Let's go ahead and turn that heater on and try it out. That was so nice that we decided, okay, enough of this wood-burning stuff. We're going to be using the heat this year. <laughs> Makes a big difference. Well, now that you touch on electric heat, that's what people don't understand. You know, we talk to people about heat pumps. Well, no, I had one 20 years ago, and they blow cold air in the winter. And, you know, everything has evolved uh, with the variable speed technology and the, and the um, indoor uh, variable speed blowers, you know, they, they load the coil before the fan comes on. It comes on at a lower temperature. I mean, the, today they have, you know, 100 and some degree air coming out like a gas furnace. The efficiencies, yep. it's, it's a complete night and day different deal. I'm all electric. I have, I've had heat pumps in my house now and the one before, and you can't tell any difference, you know, whether there's a gas furnace. It's just it's the technology years ago. Yes, it, it didn't blow cold air. It could be 101 degrees, but it's pretty much our body temperature. And, and the course, the systems didn't have the technology to slow the blowers down. You know, they allow the, the coils to heat up and everything they have today. It's, it's just night and day. Yeah, and, and and like you said, technology continuously changes. I mean, people used to complain about a, a fuel-injected vehicle. They all still wanted to do carburetors. Now you couldn't give a yeah. carburetor if you away if you had to. Oh, no, no, big difference. And, uh, you know, when we, we come out into a home to, to look at replacing a system, you know, part of our process is, is you know, we're not there to sell. We're, we're there to, you know, evaluate, give people, you know, the different options, decisions to meet their needs, their lifestyle, their budget, and get, get them up to date on everything to make an informed decision of what meets their needs. It's not us deciding what we think they should have. It's, it's you know, information for them to make a decision what they they need and want based on budget and allergies. Stuff. I was speaking about allergies earlier. I don't ever open a window in my house or a door. I want everything sealed, and I've got, you know, state-of-the-art air cleaners and, you know, ionizers and all that stuff. So in my home, my allergies are good. I walk out the door, you know, I feel like I'm going to plug up and, you know, pass out. So, yep, you know, yep. but if somebody doesn't have that issue, is that a benefit to them to, to buy all this? Well, no, if you're not suffering from it. So that's what I'm saying with the informed decision. And another thing that people don't realize, you know, they, they look at the initial cost of a new system, you know, it's not only the comfort you get from it and the benefits, you know, also properly sized. You know, we, we come in and do a complete room-by-room room heat loss, heat gain, CFM analysis on every house, one, to determine the proper size of the unit, and then once you do, how much air should be going to each room, and then evaluate the duct system. People don't realize that, it, you know, typically, you know, 15, 20-year-old, uh, install in our market could have 20 to 30 percent duct leakage in the attic you know so you're, you're just running all the heating cooling to blow a third of it in the attic and all this plays a huge effect and then something that you know, want to inform people too is they forget the fact that the decision they make on their new system is tethered to them you know as far as dollars they live with this not only for comfort but with their electric bill every month for the next decade or so after they purchase that unit. So, you know, what may seem sometimes, uh, you know, a good deal because, well, look, this upfront 
you know, cost is cheaper. Well, the, the result of that is they're not as comfortable. Their house isn't, you know, what it could be as far as humidity control. And now they're stuck with, you know, $800 more a year in electric bills for the life of the unit. And more is the, the rates go up and the efficiency of the units go down from uh, not being serviced. Oh, absolutely. I know of, of, of a person who, you know, they, they looked at getting a, a new unit in. They went with a fly-by-night company who didn't do a load calculation, put the wrong size unit in, and their electric bill went up $250 a month. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got, yeah it's it, got, you've got to do these things. Yeah, and then if it was oversized, you know, they're uncomfortable because they set it at 72. Well, the relative humidity is high because, you know, turn on, cool down quick, slam off, turn on. Turn, and that's part of probably the increase in their electric bill. Uh, you know, the amount of energy these take to turn on, you know, versus run is, is enormous. And that's, that's something we have to educate consumers about the newer technology, too. If they're properly sized, these units are designed to run for a longer period of time and maintain a temperature, and that's where you get into the benefit of the variable speed blowers where they can speed up, slow down based on load, and then the, the uh, two-stage or inverter technology outside where it's actually dropping the speed of the compressors and the output to match, and people go, well, this unit runs longer. Well, it's designed to run longer. You know, if it turns on and off, I mean, just, you know, if you put a meter on a unit, you know, or any electric motor when it fires up, you know, it just buries a meter temporarily with power surges to turn it on, and then it settles down to a very low power amperage draw when it runs, and that's part of educating people on the new technology. They're designed to run for a longer period of time and maintain a temperature, but they also go into lower stages or, or different steps and stuff, and not only lower the energy they use, but the output of that unit. Well, Mike, you and your family have a, a happy Mother's Day tomorrow. All right, you too. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful day today. We may get a little rain tomorrow, but uh, it sure doesn't damper the beautiful weekend to celebrate our mothers and family. Nope, not at all. Mac, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yes, I have a Price Fister kitchen faucet, and I put in some cartridges because it was hit some drips. And when I put it back together... I get very little water pressure. Okay. Coming through the faucet, but I I try to spray. It has good pressure on the sprayer, but none coming harder through the faucet. Yep. There's there's a couple of things that can cause that. One, when if any debris got into the line and got up into the new cartridge, it could plug one of the small ports there. The other thing that it can be is have you tried taking the aerator off the sprayer or off the uh, spigot yet? Yeah, I, I clean. I, we I, we clean that off. Yeah. The okay. Uh, then then the last thing that it can be is when you put it back together. If any of the O rings or anything got out of place a little bit, it'll plug it up as well and not let it flow properly. Does the handle feel a lot stiffer than it was? I got it's a two hand faucet, you know, one for the hot and one right. for the cold. And and both sides are doing it? Yes. Okay, it's gotta be that debris then got into there and it's not plugging at the the valves themselves. It's gotta be at the aerator level. So take take where the water comes out of the spigot off and run it and see if, if you get full water pressure that yeah, way. I did that it's still very little pressure. Is there a diverter on that faucet? 
there is uh well it's not really a diverter but where the, where the mix where the mixer is if mm -hmm. debris got in there it could plug it but typically if that's where it's at your sprayer nozzle wouldn't spray properly either Okay, I sure thank you. Alrighty, take All right. care, Mac. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there are several different things that can go go wrong with those faucets, and you just kind of have to take it back apart and try to hunt it down. Alex, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, uh, quick question for you. I uh, just moved in about a, uh, eight months ago to a, a house that uh, new construction. And then in the uh, one of the showers, in the master bedroom showers, there's, uh, you know, some black stuff, not necessarily mold, I don't think, like uh, just coming out in the uh, crevices and corners of the, the shower there. It's tile, uh, tile wall and floor. Is yep. that uh, normal or, uh, you know, is there a problem there? Not well, sure. it, it it is actually a mold coming out. You know, we get too, a little too hung up on the mold nowadays, uh, thinking that all of it's going to be bad. For, uh, and it's not all of it is bad for us. But what you are seeing is a mold, and it's because moisture gets into the grout and stays saturated and, and allows it to come out. So you'll want to spray it down with something to kill that mold to keep it from doing. And basically what you're probably going to need to do, there's one of two things you can do. One uh open the shower door once in a while to let moisture you know to to keep it from getting too wet in there uh and, and you know so the de the air conditioning system can dehumidify it two you could take that uh grout line out and put caulking in there instead that has a mold inhibitor in it and then you don't have to worry about it as much because the, the grout lines in those corners are notorious for doing that. Okay, great. Thank you. You bet. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's talk with Carolyn Clear Lake. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you. And I've got two real fast questions, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, one of them, I have a, my house was built in the mid-'70s. When it was built, it had a four-ton air conditioner. It's only a thousand four hundred. I'm sorry, yeah, thousand four hundred square feet. So some people, and I haven't had to do west out there yet, have said put in another four-ton because that's what it's had. And some say you could get by with a three and a half or even a three. Do you have any rules of thumb on that? One hundred percent. There's only one way you size a new air conditioner, and that is to do what's uh -huh. called a load calculation. And literally okay. what, what they have to do is come in, look at the windows, what way the house is facing, what you have for windows, how much insulation there is, how many windows, how many doors. And all that gets put into a program that literally tells you exactly what size unit you should have for that size home. Because builders are notorious for undersizing. Okay. And so you, you know, the any contractor on air conditioning who comes in and says, well, you've had a four-ton, let's just put another one in, is not right. doing their job. And quite frankly, not doing what's required by regulations nowadays before putting one in. Because uh, so okay. many things can change. Like if you added insulation in the attic, if you changed uh -huh. out your windows for new replacement windows because the new windows are so much more energy efficient. They're more efficient. All, right. Yeah. Even the trees around your house can make a difference on what size unit your home needs. And if you put the wrong size in, if it's undersized, 
it runs your electric bill up. If it's oversized, it will tend to run the humidity levels up because it cycles too fast and doesn't get the humidity out of the air. So uh, the, the load calculation is the only way to determine the proper size. Okay. And then the second question is, I'm thinking about getting a new roof one of these days after I get the air conditioner fixed. And if I have them, would it, I'm thinking, but I don't know if that's a good idea, to have them completely take off the, the wood and put in the wood with the radiant barrier built in. And then if I did that, is that a good idea or not? And then if you do that and you ever blow in insulation later, does that damage the radiant barrier that's already there? Or what do you think I should do? Well, on, on radiant barriers, I typically tell people, put it in the attic unless it's a cathedral ceiling, and then there are certain ones that you can put outside under the shingles. But in general, they'll okay. do a better job if you put them in the attic. Uh, uh -huh. And, you know, there's several different types. If it's a single layer, you actually put it on the roof decking on the bottom side, so the insulation's not going to hurt anything. If you use a multi-layer radiant barrier, like I've used in my house, it can lay on the attic floor, and you can put insulation on the top of it, and it won't hurt anything. So it just depends on the radiant barrier. Oh, hello, Nicholas. Can you hear me? I do now. Go ahead. All right, yeah, I've got a crack in my tenant's bathtub. Uh, it's like a little two-inch crack. It's got three little legs to it kind of hairline but it's going all the way through the tub i can it's leaking a little bit of water out from underneath it i don't know if it's a better idea to seal it just with some small kind of you know bathtub seal it and put a bath mat over it or if i should go all the way into calling a professional professional or and i'm assuming this is one of those fiberglass tubs isn't it yes yeah the unfortunate part of those tubs once they crack like that no matter what you do to it, it's going to crack again. That's what I've been told. Yeah. It, it's time you're going to have to just take it out and put a new one in. Okay. Well, that's what I'll have to do then. All righty. Sorry about that. All right. Thank you. You bet. Take care. And, and the whole reason for that, the tub has flexibility to it. And, you know, whatever you try to put in there to patch it is going to be rigid. So, therefore... It's just not going to hold, and it'll end up breaking again. You may get a very short period of time out of it, but you don't get very long. Wayne, this is Jim. How can I help you? Oh, hey, guy. Uh, well, uh, it's one of those kind of things that, you know, you have to kind of really talk about. But uh, my uh, parents, uh, apparently uh, their dog uh, got into a tussle with a little uh, against the creek uh, with a skunk. Uh-oh. And, uh, yeah, it was like four or five days ago that this happened, you know, and we washed the dogs and everything else, and uh, the odor is still uh, something else inside. My mother, anyway, my mother was saying last night that, hey, maybe we just started thinking about having the house fumigated. I mean, you know, because it's that bad. It's an indoor dog that couldn't keep it outside, you know, when all right. this was going on. And uh, I was also, you know, wondering about these uh enzymes yeah. that they use in the air ducts because they've been uh, getting sick quite a bit anyway from allergies and they use the best uh, you know the Honeywell 4 inch thick uh, air filters that you can buy on a house and they, they, they get dirty within just like a couple of months yep and so uh, but, but got, you know if you remember I was saying if you got pets in the house it can shorten uh, the life of those things 
right, right. This is true. This is true. Uh, but like, uh, they don't know. You know, they've been. Uh, they just. It seems like their life is real shortened. And uh, like I said, they've been getting sick a lot with allergies and stuff. Yeah. And they're not allergic to the dogs. When was the last you know, time the, the unit was serviced? Uh, the unit was serviced. Uh, let's see. Um, two years ago. See, that's that's way too far apart. Oh, okay, okay. It, it really needs to be serviced twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall. All right, all right, know, one getting right. ready for summer, one getting ready for winter, because that's yeah. that's where the tweaks are made. And it could be nothing more than, like, the pre- previous air conditioning caller we had, where uh, the yeah. you're getting moisture up in the coils that's causing a mold issue that's, uh, that's setting off their allergies. Okay, yeah. This, well, I was, I've been thinking mold. I, I don't know. That's been going through my mind. I was like, maybe it's some type of mold issue. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's right. Yep. Um, but, that, man, I mean, uh, like I said, it's been four or five days ago. What about is there, like, you know, a way to fumigate a house? Like four-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot home. Well, and there is machines for doing ozonation. Where basically, uh-huh. like, if a house burns, it's it is hard to get that odor out of the house, and so uh-huh. what they can't do is they come in with an ozone machine uh-huh. that literally takes all the odors out. Uh, and okay. so if you'll check with one of the restoration companies, I know Dalworth has those machines. Right. Okay. And they they do that type of. Uh, yep. uh, Ozone uh, cleaning or what have you. Yeah, so, uh, with, uh, yeah, so okay. check with them. Okay, and then uh, now what about the, the enzyme deal, spraying the enzyme uh-huh. uh, up in the, uh, the ducts? Uh, is that effective? Is that Well, uh, only if there's something up there to, to that, you know, that you're spraying. The, the unfortunate like, part of it is a lot of times people think a lot of things are being caused by the duct works that's uh-huh. not. Oh. I mean, the duct work is just there to move air and... If your filters are doing what they're supposed to be doing and everything else is working, uh-huh. then there's nothing in the ductwork to worry about. It's when uh-huh. something else quits working that you got to deal yeah. with ductwork issues. And at that point, if you haven't, you know, had the units checked and fixed, well, yeah, it's not going to fix I mean, it. They, they are regularly having it uh, maintained, but it's like it's like every other year that yeah, they do but it. Yeah, but that's not it's regular. Pretty good. Gen- okay. Well, then it's about time for them to have that done then yeah. anyway now, too. Okay. So, okay, cool. Well, all right, yeah, yeah, appreciate it, man. You bet, Wayne. Thanks Take for, care. Uh, okay, you too. Thank Bye-bye. You. One of the things on, on those uh, emails that do come to me, like I said, I answer all those myself. Here's one that came in uh, not too long ago. In putting down fiberglass bats over old existing ones, would you lay them on top and put pieces along the sides where there are gaps? Would you adhere the pieces to the bigger bat and staple where needed to keep in place. I had a contractor come out today, and that's what he said to do. My batting is very old and sunken down in the rafters, so I'm not sure if the new should go on top or across like a checkerboard. Any thoughts on this? Thanks. And it says, uh, your website and contact sure helps me as I can trust your objective expertise. Well, First of all, yes, I would do it as a checkerboard. And the main reason for that, you know, the the existing insulation runs with the ceiling joists. They're laying down in it. So by running across it, you don't have to worry about filling in those gaps and stuff. 
you're literally able to push them together. And even though your bats, you maybe sunk, you know, think that they sunk down a little bit, chances are they weren't that thick to begin with because bat insulation typically doesn't settle. Now, if it's cellulose, yes, it can settle. But fiberglass bat normally does not settle. So, yes, I would, I would do it in the checkerboard style, push them up nice and tight together, and uh, that'll, that'll take care of you. What we're looking for in the Dallas area is approximately 15, 16 inches of insulation up there. So uh, that gives you a kind of a rule of thumb on how much you need to put up there as well.